Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue on the Funnel Radio Network. And as always, I'm super excited, but I wanted to talk about something. When I think of peace of mind in business, it comes from being prepared for the, uh, for the expected as well as the unexpected. It's not all sparkle ponies, unicorns, and laughter in business. Bad stuff happens. And what we do to respond in those moments as leaders, team members, can change the course of a company and set into motion a chain reaction of positive outcomes or a coyote roadrunner death spiral into dust kind of thing. And that's a bit dramatic, but I wanted you to have a visual as I introduce you to an expert in crisis readiness, Melissa Agnes. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you, Susan. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. I, I first got to know who you are and what you are so adept at teaching and planning and developing for companies when I heard you on for the Marketing Communications Today show from West Virginia University. And I was so impressed. I thought, I need to have a conversation with you and continue what you started with them. So in your book, Crisis Ready, you draw from your extensive experience in helping global brands, government organizations, and even world leaders prevent and overcome a range of real world, high impact crises. Good golly. It seems like we really need your expertise in the U.S. today. But let's get to talking about business. You know, let's bring it back to our own little worlds of the stuff we have total control over and can make a difference in. So let's talk about business and how we can learn from your experience and apply it to our daily and professional lives. Because you use all this experience and provide organizations with clear roadmaps for implementing crisis ready culture and to set them on track building their invincible brand. Yeah. So let's dive in. Okay, let's. Cool. You and I talked about some points, and folks, this is what we're going to cover today, and we'll go in as deep as we can with the time allotted. We're going to talk about the value of crisis readiness from a business strategy perspective. We're going to talk about how to conduct an audit to determine your culture, and we're going to talk about how to get ahead, high emotional relatability, when you can never overcome emotion with pure logic. Oh, And that's tough because we get wrapped up in that. So I'm going to let you take it from here, Melissa, and I will dive in as conversation permits. Okay, cool. Well, definitely let's make this a conversation. Well, okay. So I think what's important to set the scene with is that people see crisis management as a singular point in time, having a plan that sits on a shelf for that singular point in time. But to your point earlier, Susan, is we live in a world of heightened risk that we do increasing all the time. I mean, I sit on several boards and we look at risks that a year ago we talked about, you know, risks for 2030 when halfway through the year of 2019, we realized, no, 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 these are today. Things have changed in the last six months that it's not 2030. It's not 2025. It's 2020. Um, And that's on a global scale. And then that goes down straight through to the individual organization. And every single organization has a series of high risk scenarios. So the scenarios that they're the, or the negative events that they're most likely high impact to strike. And that goes scales from issue 
to crisis. So issue management, as any business professional will know and will set, will share in, is issue management is a regular course of business activity. We deal in business, we deal with issues all the time. So when you're looking at your crisis readiness, it's not just saying, okay, what if, what if the unexpected catastrophic event happens, but also saying, are, do we have a culture? Are we, do we have a team that's empowered and equipped and educated and trained to respond to every single negative event in a way where you're mitigating further escalation and further impact? But ultimately, my definition of successful crisis management, successful issue management, is you have a team that can instinctively come out of any negative incident in a way where you have fostered increased trust and credibility in your brand. So tying you closer to those who matter most to your business. Um, so kind of just to set the scene, that is what the importance from a business value perspective, being crisis ready gives you a competitive edge by far. It does things like increases the morale within the culture of your organization, which increases productivity, which increases happiness, which increases, go ahead. <laughs> That was one of the biggest things that my takeaways from what you've been talking about and that I've lived, when there is a plan in place and everybody is aware of it, the peace of mind, it's kind of like when we set up our, our trust and our wills, that peace of, it's like, oh, I don't want to have to plan this whole thing. What a yeah. pain. And I don't want to think about all those bad things that could happen or what to respond overall. And what is our constant message in situations? But man, when it's in place, Everybody kind of breathes a little easier. Yeah. They rely on each other with a better rhythm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I've not been one ever in my life to, I'm not very sporty, so I've never really done team sports, but I do a lot of activities. So sailing is one of them. Um, and I learned to sail with a specific group of friends. And I think this translates into sports, to team sports. So I just can't relate to those. Um, there's <laughs> something <either>. about, <laughs> but Not there's me. something about being on a sailboat and the winds are high and there's risk, but there's also excitement. And so it's not, you know, you're not in a storm, right. but you look across to the other points on the, on the boat and you know exactly precisely what every one of your friends and counterparts are doing. They could, you trust what they're doing. They know what you're doing. You all know what everybody's next step is and you're working cohesively together. And when you are, that's, that is the same thing as a, having a culture of crisis readiness. So it's not just when the storm hits, but also all of those little risks along the way, when you have complete and utter confidence in yourself, in your capabilities, your competency, and your team to know that they know exactly how to detect negative incident. They know exactly how to assess this material impact. So something that needs to be escalated will be escalated. You have confidence in that. And something that doesn't need to be escalated will be handled effectively. And ultimately you come out of every negative type of incident in a way where you have increased brand equity. You're building the brand equity of your organization, which means that you are coming out of any type of incident with increased relationships, more values tied to the relationships of those who matter most to your business internally and externally. And that is a very, very, two things, powerful thing for business and two, in my opinion, it is what organizations who are in service of other people, because that is the whole point of any type of business or organization, um, is doing right by the people that they're designed to serve. And we need, a, we need more of that in our society. 
We do. But you brought back some great memories with the sailing. <laughs> I also am not athletic, but love to sail. Oh, fun. Many years. But our company used to go, a company that I worked for, every Friday. And oh. we would go sailing every Friday afternoon. Fun. As a company, on the company boat. And it was that same thing. We all knew each other's jobs. It was, if somebody hurt themselves, we could step in and take care of it. There was never any missed steps, but we also brought that back, that confidence and trust back into the office. Yes. Which, that team, yep. Collaboration, that team yeah. spirit, that, yep. And it's one of those things that I miss to a degree since everything's so virtual now. And that, that time to be able to truly mesh with each other physically to do something, you know, we used to have bowling teams on different companies I've worked mm. for, sailing, um, rubber boat races, I mean, all different things, Fun. but it brought us all together. And then we applied that same experience, memories, joy in the office. And it is one of those things that I think even with crisis readiness, preparedness, we are a little more fragmented mm -hmm. because we don't have the opportunity to truly be together but we still have to act as we are together in a room with that same level of trust, quick response and consistency. Yeah. And there's ways to do that. So I do. So, you know, crisis readiness, the whole crisis ready model is five phases. The fifth phase is the, is the implementation phase. And the implementation phase is where it goes from plan, stagnant plan that sits on a shelf to a living, breathing culture of an organization that can do everything right in the heat of the moment um, from issue to crisis. So scalable across. And the implementation phase is about in order to get to that level, you're designing exercises and trainings that bring the teams together and individually as well as collectively. So simulations, as an example, crisis simulations are a very, very, very powerful exercise where it's not a tabletop exercise for those who are listening who know that term, um, where tabletop is really you're sitting there and the management team is being led through a discussion this has happened, what would you do? And there's a discussion about what would happen, what would, be t what would transpire. Um, and a simulation is not this has happened, but you pick up the phone and it's happening, or you go onto a simulated social media and it's happening. And you don't just discuss what you would do, but you actually get up and do it. So you put the practice into motion, you gain the experience um, through experience, because that's that's the way that you build muscle memory. That's the way that you test the program. That's the way that you build skill set. That's the way that you have these exercises with your team to come closer together and to start to understand your individual role, but also how that fits into the collective and how you can trust that collective and how they can trust you. And so those are, that's an example of a very, very powerful exercise um, that frankly should be conducted every 12 to 18 months, oh, um, depending agree. on your organization. I'm, I love this, what you're saying, because too many times I've just been involved in the what ifs and you're exactly right. The table, the tabletop version of it, you're calm in that moment. Yeah. It's very theoretical versus practical. Yes. Yeah, it is. And it's so easy to remove yourself from it and you're not immersed mm -hmm. in the moment and the, yep. and the urgency of the moment. Yep. And don't get me wrong. I, a tabletop is really good as a first step. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to quickly, your aim should be, your goal should be to get past that first step and to start conducting regular exercises. And then from there, so most of my clients, every 12 to 18 months, depending on their industry, depending on their, the type of company they have, um, will do a simulation with the full team um, to every 12 to 18 months. And then from there, we also tend to do quarterly exercises with the communications department because comms is so essential in crisis management. It's such a heavy, heavy, impactful role that makes up pretty much about like 85% or 80%, if I were to put a number to it, of successful crisis management. And then through the simulation, you'll also realize or you'll also find opportunities or find gaps that say, okay, you know, maybe the legal team needs to be put through into different training, maybe et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're finding those areas and you're honing each individual area and then you're coming together as a team regularly to really continue to flesh that out, to build that skill set and to, and to strengthen the program because you can never know specific details, specific impactful aspects of your readiness until you actually experience. So to give you an example, one of the takeaways from one of the simulations that I've done over the years that always stuck with me was one particular organization, we realized that their boardroom was not big enough. And as a result, this is, so it was not big enough. It was big enough and perfect for their everyday work environment when management got together. But for the crisis management context, because of, so they had whiteboards around the room and those were supposed to be used and nobody really got up to use them because of the space capacity. It didn't feel fluid enough. And the second impact was that people, parts of the team that they should have been calling in for debriefs, they were calling instead of having them come in. And that led to kind of that broken telephone where things got lost in translation. You couldn't actually see the urgency in somebody's body language, which was essential and therefore impacted decision-making and flow of execution. Had they been in the room, you would have seen it versus on the phone. You can't anticipate that. You can only experience it and then grow from it. And that's just one small example of a simulation and how it, it helps you progress your, um, and evolve your program. What, what a wonderful point you brought up, a boardroom. When people set up their office space, when they set up everything, they're only thinking of day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Usually, yep. And if it's a larger group, say, so, oh, we'll do that off-site. We'll do this. We'll do mm-hmm. that. And they'll adapt and they'll plan and they'll have another plan in place. But thinking about this, the, folks, if you're considering growth for your company, you're considering a move, these plans need to be thought of first mm-hmm. before you make the decision on the space, how you're going to use your new space, and what you want to put in place for protocols for any of these situations. I, yeah. And if you have um, a business continuity team, they can help with aspects of that. Not every organization does. So then in which case, um, an ex- having an expert come in and, and even just prioritizing your crisis readiness, right? What that looks like culturally, what that looks like, the value that it provides to the brand as a whole for, and you know everything that, everything that comes from that. That was a nice deep dive on that topic. And we're going to take a break for just a minute. When we come back, we're going to finish a couple of these points, hopefully, how to conduct an audit to determine your culture and how to get ahead of high emotional relatability when you can never overcome emotion with pure logic. So we're going to do that after we come back from our break. We will be back with Melissa Agnes. Stay tuned. 
Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are, so go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence. Well, let's get to our second point, and that was how to conduct an audit to determine your culture. How does that come into play? And, you know, we all talk about company culture. Company culture, what's the culture of your company? Well, blah, 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 blah. I love the culture of this company. Shouldn't you already know the culture of your company? Well, so that's interesting. Um, I've had clients that tell me at the start of our work together, we don't have a culture, which doesn't actually make any sense. Um, and But that's how they felt. They felt for whatever reason, whatever benchmark they wanted to achieve, they didn't feel that it had it, and they therefore associated that with a lack of culture. But culture is the living, breathing reality of every single day. Um, I think that it's easy to get stuck in the living, breathing reality of every day, and it's difficult to take a an objective step back and look in and really assess it. But in terms of your crisis readiness, audit is the first phase of the crisis ready model, and that gives you perspective and it gives you benchmark to say, here is approximately where we sit on the scale of crisis readiness. And it's not just looking at auditing your program or your, your, you're probably calling it a plan. That is one very minor aspect of it. It's truly what is the culture? What go back into time and collect the data and say, you know, these are the issues that transpire in each department, whether it's customer complaints, whether it's whatever it is. And instead of going and saying, talking to each of those departments and saying, what would you do? Go back and see what they do. Go back and see, and that'll give you good perspective on how are issues managed regularly? What's the lens through which negative events are actually seen? And how is that led from the top down and then supported bottom up? How are people rewarded for choosing the right lens? Do you even have an, a concept of what the right lens is? Because the lens through which we choose to see any negative event directly impacts the actions that we take, which directly impacts the outcome on the brand, right? The results of that scenario. And so to true, that's my job for in an hour long conversation, preliminary conversation with a prospective client, I can right away from that conversation, get a really good, clear understanding of what that culture currently is and how that reflects and impacts the crisis readiness and how that reflects and impacts whether or not I want to work with them even. Because in order to be, I'm not just here to create a crisis management plan, deliver a crisis management plan, and walk away. I want every one of my clients to be in a position where they don't need me and where an instant that an issue happens, they are intrinsically able to work together to de-escalate it down to non-issue. And when a crisis strikes, that they can instinctively de-escalate that down to issue and then from there de-escalate it down to non-issue. But that is cultural. So doing a deep dive into your culture, taking an objective lens and really gaining perspective on what happens every day and what does that mean through the lens of crisis readiness will give you a good solid baseline of here's where we currently sit and here's where we want to go. And then that gap is what you work on. That makes sense. Oh, it does. And <laughs> what, I, what I appreciate though is the part where you had to, it's a step back. 
because you were highlighting somebody that they were convinced they didn't have a culture mm. because they haven't even taken the time to observe. They can't. No, they can't. But from the outside, you can see what's transpired, what's happened, how they respond, and that tells you so much about their culture. Yeah. You can do that within your own organization so long as you're willing, you decide, it's a decision, you decide to erase everything that you think you know and enter it anew and really look at it objectively, not subjectively, and go back and look at data, not just have conversations on what would you do, but what is the culture? What gets done? How is that? And what is the lens that that shows us that the organization has? And then that's your culture. That lens is your culture. If you don't have data, see, I when I hear you speak and everything makes so much sense, even a company as small as mine, mm-hmm. this all makes sense. Mm-hmm. For my nonprofit, this makes sense. But I, I see some of the terminology you're using <laughs> the methods, the procedures is being more at that enterprise level. So when I say data, that's my, I look at data as in my own life. I look at the data of like, I just mean it as raw facts. Okay. So it's not, it's not a data bank that's stored on a database somewhere. It's listed. Sorry. That's the way that I see things. And that's how I keep things objective, even in my own personal <laughs> world. Um, so it's really about collecting your fact finder. So instead of saying that, instead of having that emotional lens, you're going in and saying, hey, what were the last five, I don't know, customer complaints and what happened? Who addressed them? How were they addressed? What was the outcome? Um, You know, was the outcome that it was seen as a, a disturbance and an annoyance and it was handled that way and that customer didn't escalate it, but probably won't come back? Or did that turn into however it was responded to, you can pinpoint and say that turned into this glowing review somewhere, you know, that matters to us. That tells you a lot about the culture and the lens through which, and then how is that either rewarded or neglected from leadership down? So just as some examples. Now, those are great examples. I just wanted to put it into different terminology. Absolutely. No, because absolutely. data means, that word means so many different things to people. Yeah. I mean, it is your raw information. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I have data then. (laughs) Absolutely. We all do, right? Every piece of information is data. And then that's what I kind of mean from it is to try to make it objective. I appreciate that. And it's a brave thing to do if you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And it's unfamiliar and it can be uncomfortable. Absolutely. And difficult to Absolutely. learn how to step back and be objective. Yep. And it's, and I think for those of you that are looking at this going, oh, I ain't doing that. I don't want to look at that. And if you're being totally honest, nobody does, but you have to. And once you do, it takes a lot of the power away from those situations as well. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking at it as a puzzle. Yes. Something to solve yes. rather than... A scorekeeping thing. And an op- and so many opportunities. So yes. many opportunities come from this. I've watched patterns like that, especially reviews alone. Watching that pattern, it's like, what if instead we did this? How would that feel? How would you feel if instead, when you had this type of situation, somebody responded this way? Mm-hmm. And I've watched people just, the aha moments come up. Yep. And it's really cool to see yep. that. Because they suddenly start to look at it from a different perspective and it's, been, it's that jarring them into that new method. 
Yep. It's rewarding. So therefore it's inspiring and yes. it can spark something very positive within the culture of the organization. And it's something that can be documented too mm-hmm. as part of this whole process, this, this whole strategy. It documented. And so the whole thing is that you want to find how, find opportunities to strengthen the culture through the lens of crisis readiness. So documented, but implemented, right? So you're creating new processes to make it at the beginning, no matter what we do, what change is a conscious effort always until it's not anymore, until it's just ingrained. That's individually and that's organizationally. Um, That's what you're striving to achieve. But in order to achieve that, it needs to be lived every day. And until you've changed or evolved the defaults, you need to find ways to keep everybody, including leadership, accountable to that evolution. And then all of a sudden, it just becomes living, breathing part of your reality, of your truth. That's a huge piece. We, we hear about that. Do something 37 times to make it a habit. Do something so many hours. Be an expert after 10,000 hours of doing something. It's saying all the same thing. Mm. That it Repetition. becomes part of just your response. Yeah. It's so natural. You don't even realize what you know anymore in your head. Mm-hmm. Because it just comes out of you. And that, I mean, I watch myself just as a human being. I'm somebody who's very self-aware and I'm somebody who always kind of looks at, analyzes in terms of data, every, every emotion, every trigger, every, all of that. And I know who I want to be, who I am and who I will constantly want to continue to progress to be. And I also know that even that internal work is not easy. You don't get weekends and evenings off. It is a constant effort every single day, every single minute until it is just who you are. And then there's the next thing, right? right? Then you're working towards the next thing. So professionally, individually, that applies. And then when you take that and everybody is committed to that, it becomes an organizational thing and a cultural thing. But think about that freedom. Mm -hmm. Listeners, think about the freedom that once you get to that living, breathing piece of it, how everything is opened up now. Your time is freed up. Your mental capacity is freed up to be able to come up with the next great thing to bring on board for growth. Absolutely. That is exciting. And the risk that you can annihilate. Never miss an episode. Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are, so go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence.